Hey, good morning. <laughs> Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 5. Glad that you chose to be with us live here. Uh, many of you on uh, a holiday weekend. I know a lot of people are away on vacation, but I'm glad that uh, those of you who are here for the 9 o'clock service chose to be here and looking forward to the 1030 service. That's a little bit different now. It's, uh, it's a little, I've never done two services, and it's kind of getting to be... Um, old hat, except how many of you really enjoy getting up early on a Sunday morning? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this is the senior citizen crowd. I get it. I get it. I understand. I understand. I understand. Those of us who are young. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm right on that edge where when they start giving out vaccines, I can, I can be like, <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> Yeah, over the edge. I'm, a, I'm right there where I can kind of fake it. And the early shopping, come on, how many of you lie about your age to get in that early shopping at the grocery store? Yeah, 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 yeah. It cuts off at 60, but I'm like, did you see my license plate? It's got a disabled thing on it. Anyway, I digress. All right. Uh, we started, a couple weeks ago, we started a brand new series on... Um, titled Roadkill, Le Learning from Roadkill. And uh, last week we talked about the skunk, uh, the skunk, okay, <laughs> I'm over the edge, see? Yeah. Last week we, we talked, <laughs> last week we talked about the snake and uh, brought out some, some, what I thought were some interesting things. If it's, if it's not interesting, just shake your head and go along with me because it humors me. Um, but uh, the idea of this study, of this series, is to look at some of the most common animals that are run over on the roads of America. Now, just to put some of you at ease, I will, <laughs> I will not be talking about cats and dogs, okay? Because that's a little too close to home. Um, so we're, we're, domesticated animals are not included in this series, okay? <clears throat> but so, 10 of the most common animals that are killed on the roadways. And what we're doing is, is digging in. I'm finding out some, some interesting information. And there's actually information you can find out about why these animals do what they do. And then making a spiritual application from their mistakes so that we can learn. Because let's be honest, living, for, living a life for Jesus every day is difficult. We can, we, we can sing songs like Sweeter as the Years Go By and things like that, you know. But... That's great on a Sunday morning, but come along Wednesday or Thursday morning when the week has been difficult and work has been tough and you're homeschooling kids because they won't let them back in the building and all. I mean, it gets, it gets, it's a grind sometimes. And when it gets to be a grind and we don't have our armor on and we don't have ourselves prepared, boy, that's when we can really get ourselves into trouble in our walk with the Lord. So we're trying to pull out some, some things that, some, some principles from this series, from these animals that we can apply spiritually to help us learn how to be more effective and how to keep ourselves from being spiritual roadkill. Now, today's animal, I gave it away on Friday night if you were watching the devotions on Friday night. We're going to be talking about the skunk today. The word skunk, I mean, just when you, when you say the word skunk, it brings for many people feelings of fear and loathing, right? Anybody ever been sprayed by a skunk? Anybody here ever been sprayed by a skunk? How many of you have had an animal sprayed by a skunk? Whew. My uh, dog Gibson, uh, rest his soul, uh, Gibson got out one day, he was a beagle, and Gibson just just went after everything. He was just small, but he went after everything. And a skunk was in the yard. And Gibson went after him. And the skunk sprayed him. And oh, that was no good. Gabriel, one of my youngest sons, has a baseball glove. When we were, when we were living in the parsonage, he left his glove outside one night. A skunk sprayed it. Are you kidding me? And uh, I had to do all kinds of stuff to, to get that smell out because it was a great glove and Gabriel wants to use it. Was just, if, you're a, if you're a baseball player, you know what I'm talking about. It was just that glove. And every once in a while, when it's humid, I can still, 
smell traces. Either that or it's my neighbor smoking something that's a little bit off. <laughs> anyway, you can get a contact high driving around now, can't you? I'm serious. Hey, it's nine o'clock, leave me alone. <laughs> the skunk is probably the most dreaded and unwelcome member of the animal kingdom in any human community. It's really, the skunk is one of the only animals on the road that young drivers will stop for, right? They'll run over everything else, man. They'll run over a possum. They'll run over a, a frog in the road. They'll try to run, like we said last week, they'll try to run over a snake. <laughs> but man, put a skunk in the road, nobody wants to run. Anybody ever hit a skunk? Yes, I did. My first night living in Kansas when I was stationed at Fort Riley, went out for a drive. And Junction City, Kansas is like this little community, and once you get outside the town line, it's desolation. No street lights, nothing. And I hit a skunk, and oh, it was horrible. That was my introduction to Kansas. Didn't want to go back. But because of their incredibly offensive odor and their seeming willingness to spray it whenever and wherever they feel the necessity, skunks are really not welcome in the community. Sometimes it even seems like a skunk will spray on a whim just to make our lives miserable. You've been driving down the road and it's a beautiful spring morning. You got the windows down, you got your favorite music on and it's a beautiful day, sun is shining. You could smell the flowers and then all of a sudden it's not flowers you're smelling. It's like, what? There goes my morning, right? I can't even drink my coffee because it's, it's like you can taste it anyway. When a skunk is hit by a car and becomes roadkill, man, it's just one final noxious spray that gives a parting present to the neighborhood. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that skunks are not the world's favorite animal. Especially in the spring and summer, skunks make up more than their fair share of the carnage on the roads in America. I want to give you some facts this morning about skunks, about their habits, about what their lives are all about give us a view into their nature and an understanding of why they do what they do, why skunks act the way they do, and the parallel that we'll make with Christians. Skunks make up approximately 7% of all animals killed on the roads in America. About 7%, almost one out of every 10 animals that's run over on the roads in America is a skunk, so they have earned their way onto this list. <laughs> the average skunk is between 20 to 30 inches long and weighs 6 to 10 pounds. They live on average two to four years in the wild, although when they're in a closer community, more like what we are, the average age of a skunk is less than a year. In captivity, why anybody would keep a skunk in captivity, I'll never know. But in captivity, skunks can live up to 10 years. Here's something I found was really unique. Skunks are immune to snake venom, and they're known to eat poisonous snakes as well as scorpions and poisonous spiders. Skunks are omnivores, and they eat plants as well as grubs, worms, and even wasps and honeybees. Skunks will attack a bee's nest just to eat. They won't go after the honey, they eat the bees. Thought that was very unique. Skunks are also scavengers. They'll eat dead animals, as well as move into animals, uh, another animal's empty or abandoned den to live, even though skunks are equipped with long claws, which gives them a great ability to dig. They, skunks have the, uh, a great ability to dig their own home, but they will, they will go move into somebody, another animal's house. Skunks have very poor eyesight, but excellent senses of smell and hearing. Skunks, and this is disturbing, skunks can run up to 10 miles per hour. Yeah. <sighs> because of their ability to spray that spray, that horrible smelly liquid, there are very few predators that will attack skunks. Very few predators will attack skunks. In fact, they only have one natural predator and another predator, as we'll see here in a minute, that will dare 
to attack a skunk. A skunk can spray up to 10 feet. Its, its spray can be smelled for up to one and a half miles, and if left untreated, the odor from skunk spray can last between 14 to 21 days. Two to three weeks it can last. Here's something I kind of wish, but it's not true for me. One in every 1,000 humans cannot smell skunk spray. Can you believe that? One in every 1,000 human beings cannot smell, smell skunk spray due to a condition called uh, anosmia or smell blindness. It's kind of an odd thing to say, smell blindness. Some people would say military intelligence, but since I was in the MI, I don't say those things. Coyotes may occasionally prey on, spunk, prey on skunks, but only if they're really, really hungry. So coyotes will risk getting sprayed, but only if they're incredibly hungry. The one, the one natural predator that skunks have is the great horned owl. They're expert skunk hunters. Why? Because they have no sense of smell. It doesn't matter. Skunks are comfortable living around homes and businesses, often building dens beneath abandoned buildings, residential porches and decks, and beneath wood piles and stone walls, even though they will be close to humans because they have no fear. Skunks would rather not spray because it takes 10 to 14 days to replenish their uh, supply of stink. Instead of spraying, they will do a warning dance, they'll scratch the ground with their claws, and they'll growl to ward off a perceived threat or attacker. But they will not run away. Skunks will not run away. Because skunks have little, f and I'm, I know somebody's gonna say, well, a skunk ran away from me one time. Okay, Killjoy, right? <laughs> the natural thing for a skunk is not to run away. Because skunks have little fear of predators, they apparently have little fear of almost anything that moves, including humans. Due to their almost invulnerability to predators, skunks have not adapted the good sense to flee in the face of an approaching car. Remember we said in the, in the introduction series to the um, message to this series, that roadkill is a very new, relatively new issue in, in the cycle of humanity. We believe hum, uh, humanity's been around for 6,000 years, but the problem with roadkill is only about 100 years old because the automobile was invented and then the automobile started going faster and roads were built and that's when we started seeing roadkill or those people started seeing roadkill. So skunks have not really adapted the ability to, or the, sen the good sense to avoid cars or to avoid streets. When a car approaches a skunk, the skunk stands its ground. When a car approaches, the skunk stands its ground, and some skunks actually spray at the car to ward it off. Some skunks actually spray at the car to ward it off. Doesn't work out too well. Because of the skunk's brazen attitude towards threats, danger, and trouble, today we're going to be talking about the arrogant skunk. The arrogant skunk. <clears throat> in my opinion, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not the car or truck that is the problem for the skunk, it's the arrogant attitude that the skunk has towards danger that it faces. If skunks were a little less proud, if they were a little less self-assured, a little less arrogant, then they'd realize that they are not immune to deadly attacks on their bodies. They'd realize that while they may not be vulnerable to natural predators, they're no match for a speeding motorized vehicle. They'd realize that while they may not understand everything about why they can't cross streets at busy times and can't fight a car, they'd realize that they don't know what they don't know and simply trust the wisdom that they have gained and been given to handle the matter successfully. We all battle that, those of us who are parents, we battle that with our kids, right? Kids want to do everything. Some of you have multiple littles. And, you know, you've got, I, I think of uh, Jimmy and Jess who have three under the age of three, right? Three and under, right? You've got three? Three. One, two, three. And they're all boys. Happy times. Jonathan and Mary that have 
three that are eight and under and others who are Zach and Tiffany, at least they have a girl, which may be trouble when teen years come along. But uh, for right now, uh, the boys are just constantly going. And Ben and uh, Amber with two boys. <laughs> Good luck, guys. Good luck. Uh, we teach kids, and it, it, it doesn't matter whether they want, to, whether they understand why it's not good for them to cross the street, why it's not good for them to walk out in the middle of the road, why it's not good for them to go off on their own. They may not understand that, but they don't have to understand it because we're trying to teach them that it's wrong for them to do that. Skunks don't have that ability. Skunks haven't developed that sense. And so they continue to do foolish things that get themselves into trouble. Sound familiar? Christians can be a lot like skunks. The definition of arrogance is overbearing pride. In other words, pride on steroids, right? G.K. Chesterton said, if I, only, if I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Why is arrogance dangerous? Because as followers of Jesus, we can feel proud and invulnerable because of our knowledge of the word and our accomplishments. We can get caught up in ourselves and our ways that keeps us from stopping to realize that we're right in the middle of a busy road with a big truck bearing down on us. That big truck, by the way, is Satan. Christian, let me just say this to you. You on your own are no match for Satan. You're no match. But because of our arrogance as human beings, because of our pride as human beings, we think we are. We don't think we need God. We don't think we need church. We don't think we need the Bible. I got this, God. I'll call you when I've got the big stuff coming up. When I'm, when I'm in need, I'll tap out and you can take over. Man, that's called arrogance. And that's what gets many of us into trouble. How do we grow this attitude of arrogance in our lives? Because we take our eyes off Jesus and we focus on our accomplishments and our self-importance. We become a big fish in a little pond and when people start to rely on us, we allow it to go to our heads. Or perhaps we leave our spiritual armor hanging in the closet for the truly big battles because we can handle the little stuff all on our own. Or perhaps we don't, need, we don't heed the warnings of those who have gone before us and we step into situations that are loaded with peril. Perhaps we get, it's, it's funny, it's funny now with social media. It wasn't so much when I was uh, the first time around as a father and it wasn't so much um, in my parents' generation when I was growing up because you didn't know what people were thinking every moment of the day. But now, those who have grown up with social media, it seems like they can't help themselves, some people. And they've got to put everything they're doing on social media. And I read some of these, and I'm not picking on any, please don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just trying to make a point. I read some of this and I say to myself, man, you need to sit down with an older person <laughs> and someone who can give you some wisdom First of all, about putting everything on Facebook or the Twitter or whatever it is. And secondly, because you ain't got life figured out and you need somebody to help you through it. Not a life coach. You need somebody to mentor and disciple you and help you understand what you're doing. Some of you younger parents, let me just throw this out there. Some of you younger parents, you would do well to sit down and talk with older people who have already raised their children and made those mistakes and seen those successes and seen their kids walk away and then see them come back because the promise of God is if you raise a child in the way that they should go when they're old, they'll come back to what they were taught when they were younger. And you ha you'll, you'll talk to older parents who raise children successfully and can now rely on the promises of God because they've seen them through. Maybe you need to talk with someone about your marriage and sit down and talk with those who made it 40, 30, 40, 50, 60 years in marriage and say, how did you do it? You must have been married to a saint 
Well, those of us who were raised by parents like that know that there's no saints in a household. People just did what they needed to do and put, uh, put, to, put into practice the principles of the Word of God. Took, took the Bible at its word and said, if I do this, then God will do this, and God will lead, and God will bless, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. But in other words, if you will put into practice the promise of the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God, you'll have success. But today, nobody wants to listen to anybody else. Nobody wants to talk to anybody else. Everybody wants to be a keyboard warrior. And everybody is just grounded and, and dug in in their opinion. <clears throat> Perhaps it's because we begin to believe our own press and start to think we're more important to a church than we truly are or believe we're more important to our job than we truly are or begin to believe that we're more important to uh, other areas of life than we truly are. Whatever the reason, self-destruction is the result. In this message today, I want to look at four lies in the lives of followers of Jesus in which wisdom is the better choice over arrogance. Where wisdom is the better choice over arrogance. Lies that many believe because of arrogance. If we would choose to learn and apply wisdom rather than trust in our own abilities, we would easily avoid reading roadkill like an arrogant skunk. Think about it. Think about it. If a skunk would just turn around and go the other way and not get into the road, it's not going to get hit. It's pretty simple, isn't it? If a skunk would, when it comes to a road, would just say, nope, not going that way, and turn around and go the other way, it wouldn't get hit. If we would just learn to apply to, to learn and apply wisdom rather than trust in our abilities, we could easily avoid these things. Once again, the danger of being arrogant, spiritual roadkill, is not only a danger for you, but it's a danger for your church and others in your life as well. One thing that many people are not grasping today is that you are still responsible to raise your children. One thing that I battle with, because I am 57 and I've got two nine-year-old sons and my oldest son and his wife are raising uh, two children that will be in school soon and I've got four other grandchildren in school. And I don't know about those of you who have children in school, but I keep getting these emails from the school. Well, we want to, we, we want to help with your child's needs. We want to help with their, their mental well-being and their... This, uh, Listen, that's not your job, okay? And if you're watching, anybody who's watching online that works in a school system, maybe one of my boys' teachers, let me just tell you, that's not your job. Your job is to teach my boys reading, writing, and arithmetic. I take care of the character, okay? They go to school. I want to know. I, I, listen, the first teacher that tells me, well, your boy has a confidant in me is going to have an earful from me. Listen. My kid comes to you with an issue, you better be on the phone talking to me because that's my responsibility, not yours. Parents, those kids are your responsibility. Listen, I know I joke about, semi-joke about my boys not being, go, being able to go back to school. I'd love for them to be able to go back to school because both of my sons learn better with a teacher present. But you better believe I'm taking full advantage of the time that they're with me at home. I stay up late at night to get my church work done after they go to bed because I'm taking my boys out playing baseball, we're taking family trips, we're going on bike rides, we're doing this and that because I want my two youngest sons to understand that their father and mother love them and care about them and have their best interest at heart. And even though we are, uh, we will discipline and we will uh, do what is necessary in the home to raise them properly, we still love them. And we are the ones that are responsible for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first lie that we are tempted to believe because of arrogance is this. Arrogance says you're the smartest person in the room. Arrogance says you're the smartest person in the room. Wisdom, however, knows that that doesn't matter. Arrogance says you're the smartest person in the room. Wisdom 
says that doesn't matter. T.S. Eliot said most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Why do you think God blessed each and every one in the church with a different spiritual gift? Because everybody needs to get involved. Everybody needs to have a part in the church. Everybody needs to have something to do in the church. Because if you don't have something to do, you're not going to feel like you're a part of the church, and you're not going to feel like you're contributing, and you'll find somewhere else to be. If we simply have one individual that wants to do everything, and they think they can do everything, and think they can do everything better than everybody, then we're going to be in trouble. And that individual is going to be in trouble. We're going to cause problems for ourselves, for our family, for the church. Overbearing pride causes missed ministry opportunities. Overbearing pride or arrogance causes, causes missed ministry opportunity, opportunities. Working together in harmony, or in harmony in church is the goal. It's not a competition. Working together in harmony, not competition, is the key to success. Working together as a church in harmony, one person helping the other person out. One, only one person could lead. Listen, there can only be one pastor. There can only be one pastor in the church, one senior pastor in the church. Only one. That's the way the Bible set it up. That means that that role is filled for now. That means that if you're going to, and listen, I'm, I'm saying this here. I'm not saying this because there's any problem or any issue. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this, there can only be one. If you want to serve at New Life Church, you're going to have to find what your gift is because you ain't the pastor. And I'm not planning on walking away tomorrow. So you're going to have to find out what your gift is from God and fill that role. Everybody, everybody's going to have to do that. Because you do have a gift, you do have abilities, God has blessed you with something, you just need to find out what that is. Because it's not about power, it's not about the authority of it all, it's about making this work. It's about reaching people, it's about growing people in their faith, becoming stronger in your faith, so that you can raise, you can have a successful marriage, you can raise your children successfully, and this can be a generational church and not a one-trick wonder. And then we can evangelize, reach out, and minister to our community and build the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. Oh, no, 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 I just don't. You know why you don't agree with that? You, don't know, why, you know why you don't like hearing that? Arrogance, overbearing pride. You don't like being told what to do. You don't like being told that you're not in charge. Man, gentlemen, we struggle with this, don't we? Gentlemen struggle with, with, with following leaders. Why do you think it's easier to get a ladies' Bible study going than a men's Bible study? Straight up honesty, right? <laughs> That's on every church. Talk to my mom and dad who have been in, who've been in ministry for over 60 years. And they'll tell you the same thing. It's easier to get a ladies' ministry going. It's easier to get a ladies' Bible study going than it is to get a men's Bible study going. I don't need your help. Well, apparently you do. <laughs> apparently you do. You just don't think so. Here's one thing that I want to throw out. If some things are not getting done because no one is doing them, maybe they didn't need to get done in the first place. Ever think of that? If some things aren't getting done because no one else is doing them, maybe they didn't need to get done in the first place. Maybe that's not where your focus should be. Oh, I, there's a, I see a need, I see a need. Okay. So did Martha. Remember the story of Martha? Mary and Martha? Sisters, remember when Jesus came to their house? 
Mary sat down at Jesus' feet, right? And she was learning from the master. How many of us would love that? I mean, love it. I mean, sell everything you have if Jesus was teaching in New Jersey. Not sure why New Jersey would be the place that I just called out, but because I was looking at Jimmy, I guess. How many would, you'd beg, borrow, and steal to get to, to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? To hear him teach live. To just be in his presence. And that's what Mary chose. What was Martha doing? Martha was running around making sure everybody's drink was filled. Martha was running around making sure there were finger foods, right? Pouring the nacho cheese Doritos into the, ba into the basket. Not realizing that the man sitting in the living room could feed everybody by the word of his mouth if he chose. And Martha went to Jesus. You talk about arrogant. Martha went to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, why don't you tell my lazy sister to get up off the floor and come and help me? There's so many people and it's so busy, Jesus. I, I just can't do it all. What did Jesus say? Hey, Mary, get your lazy self up off the floor and go help Martha because your sister is overwrought. Is that what Jesus said? Not at all. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about things that don't matter. You're doing something that doesn't need to be done. And I, I can just imagine reading into the story, Jesus would look at her and say, if I wanted these people to have food right now, they'd have And they just don't matter. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Look, I'm sending you out like sheaves among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Know your limits. Know your call. Know your purpose. Know where you're supposed to be. Know what you're called to do. Don't try to tell everybody else what they're supposed to do. Know what you're called to do, and then do it. And encourage others to get involved and do the same thing. Not in an angry, overbearing, hateful way, but because you want to see the kingdom of God profit and benefit. I know it's difficult during this time right now, because there's... There, there's so many challenges to, to try to, to do what we can do right now. But there are still things you can do. There are still ministries you can get involved in. Did you know that you can have the ministry of encouragement right now? Man, you could reach out to somebody that is struggling and tell, let me tell you, there are people struggling. Somebody was talking to me about uh, something this evening, and I said, you know, I really don't know if I'll be free on Sunday night or not. Because Sundays, some days I'm done at 2 o'clock on a Sunday. Some days that, that my, after I preach the second service, got a couple things to take care of, I'm done. But a lot of Sundays, it's 11 o'clock before I'm done with the conversations that I need to have. And those are conversations that need to be had. Everybody can have the ministry of encouragement right now. Everybody can have the ministry of accountability right now. Call somebody. Man, especially, especially some of these parents who I, I know, listen, I, I know I have, uh, I have different abilities to, to, be, to be about and to go out and do things than other parents. I get that. Do you realize that some of these parents are struggling deeply? They're struggling deeply having their kids at home constantly. We're very fortunate that both of our boys are in the same grade. That's a, that's, a, that's a blessing right now. But some of these parents are, are, are on the edge. Reach out to them in love. Be an encourager. Be a friend. Pete has got the, the ministry of um, our, uh, our food pantry and, and uh, the ministry of, of helping people. I can't think of what it's called, Pete. Uh, <laughs> 
of, of making meals and stuff like that. You know, that you don't have to wait until somebody is in the hospital or somebody is sick. You can just call Pete and say, hey, Pete, I want to make a meal for a family. And since you're a deacon in the church and you're over the hospitality ministry, what family could I bless with a meal this week? What we can all cook. And if you can't cook, you can order a pizza. Right? Anybody not like pizza? I like live, looks body by pizza. Right? Body by pizza and Duncan. I don't run on Duncan. I grow on Duncan. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> See, there are all kinds of ways you can minister to people right now. You don't have to be the end-all, be-all in everything. You may not be the roadkill, but you may cause someone else to be. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2 say, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. What does that mean? If anyone thinks he knows something, he doesn't yet know it the way he ought to know it. That means that you may have the knowledge, but that hasn't transferred into your heart and your life as wisdom. So you may have the head knowledge, but you're not putting it into practice in your life yet. If you're pumped up with knowledge and you're arrogant because of your knowledge, you don't get it. It's not about winning Jeopardy. It's about taking that biblical, scriptural, spiritual knowledge, letting it grow in your heart and in your soul and come out as wisdom in ministering to others and reaching and just living a godly life. Overbearing pride gives you a false, dysfunctional view of yourself. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think <coughs> of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Don't think of yourself as the linchpin. Don't think of yourself as the, as, as the, the, uh, the middle piece that makes the teeter-totter go up and down. Think sensibly about yourself. And take God at his word that he has placed different people in the church with different abilities to make it function. And let other people do their job. The second lie is this. Arrogance demands others back down and get in line. Wisdom knows that you can't force anybody to do anything. <laughs> arrogance, know, arrogance demands others get in line and back down and get in line. Wisdom knows that you can't force anybody to do anything. Try taking that attitude with a teenager, especially one that's about 17 or 18, their high school year, their senior year in high school. Just start putting the screws down on that kid. You know, try to do this, that, and the other thing. They'll figure out that the window opens and the screen comes off and they can sneak out their bedroom window. Arrogance causes needless confrontation. Arrogance causes needless confrontation. Proverbs 15:1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. And I'll take it a step further. Sometimes just keeping your mouth shut avoids everything. It just avoids everything. As Erin and I have had conversations, and you know, she's she's learning. How to, how to deal with her role as the pastor's wife. And she goes and talks to my mom and dad and, because they've done it before for a long time. And uh, her and I have conversation. I said, Aaron, sometimes you just have to swallow it and talk to God. How do you, how do you deal with that, John? How do you, how do you deal with those, that, what, you know, that email that you just got? How do you deal with what, <laughs> first of all, I'm not the one with the anger in my heart, <laughs> okay? The one thing I've learned over time is just because you're really, really angry about something doesn't mean I have to be. I got enough struggles in my own life, okay? I got enough struggles with myself. You wanna get, you wanna get in a twist over something, you go ahead and get yourself in a twist over something. I got too many things coming at me during the day as a pastor. If that was me, if that's what I, if I got upset about everything that people brought to me on a daily basis, I would not be able to function. So I don't worry about it. I pray about it. I say, God, you know what's going on. You take care of it. You just take care of it, God. I, they're, they're yours. <laughs> they're your children, not mine. You deal with it. 
Overbearing pride is destructive to relationships. Proverbs 29, 9, if a wise person goes to court, I love this verse, by the way. I love this verse. Look up on the, on the screen. If a wise person goes to court with a fool, there will be ranting and raving, but no resolution. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's a great verse. If a wise person goes to court with a fool, there will be ranting and raving, but no resolution. You have those arguments with people? You have those disagreements with people? Why? Do you ever ask yourself why? Why do I continue to have those arguments with those same people? It doesn't get us anywhere because of arrogance, because of overbearing pride. Let's dig in a little deeper. Because nobody wants to let it go, and nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. And nobody wants to say, simply shake their, shrug their shoulders and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. If you can't bake it into an apple pie, what good is it? Right? I know that makes no sense, but if you think about it, it might. The third lie is this. Arrogance says, I can control the chaos. Wisdom knows that God is not in the chaos. You see, that's what I've been talking about. Arrogance says, I can control the chaos. I can keep all these balls in the air. I can do all of this. I can, I can, I can be involved in everything. I can tell everybody. I can do this, that, and the other thing. I, I, I have that ability. I can do it all. I can make things happen. Wisdom knows that God is not in that chaos. Just because you created chaos doesn't mean God is in the middle of it. Just because there's chaos in the church doesn't mean God is in the middle of it. Arrogance says, I can control the chaos. Wisdom knows God is not in the chaos. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. This is when Elijah, he's just had the great victory for God on Mount Carmel. Jezebel threatens his life. He runs to the wilderness, stops by the brook Cherith, God feeds him with ravens. As my dad would say, he likes to think that uh, God sent the raven to the king's table and took a steak and brought it back. See, I listened when you preached that. And God, God fed Elijah and restored his strength and restored his spirit. And then what did he say? We see in 1 Kings 19, beginning of verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was fire. Does this sound like your day? <laughs> Does this sound like your day? Does this sound like your home? Does this sound like your relationships? Does this sound like how you view your church? After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Man. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the, vo of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Man, there's a powerful lesson to be learned there. There's a deep and powerful lesson. God is not in your chaos. God is waiting for you by the stream to talk with you, to calm you down, to give you peace, to settle your mind, to settle your spirit, and to give you the strength to move on. God is not in your chaos. That's the problem. We create this chaos, or we step, better yet, man, sometimes we step into chaos, right? I can handle it. I can solve this problem. Nobody asked you to solve the problem. Nobody asked you to deal with the issue. I, I deal with that with people quite often. I tell them quite, my sons, my nine-year-old son, Gabriel, because they were in uh, foster care, 
and there were two of them, and Gabriel is nine minutes older than Michael. Gab and, and Michael was the one that was abused so much physically. Gabriel became parentified. You know what that means? Gabriel became, he took on the attitude of being Michael's father. Now, <laughs> at nine years old, Gabriel tries to parent Michael. You know what I say to him? Gabriel, it's not your business, bud. No lie, that's what I say. It's not your business. You're not Michael's father. You know what? I'll say the same thing to you if you come to me and try to tell me how to raise my children. You're, in fact, you'll be fortunate if that's all I say. Okay? There won't be any explicatives. Expli there won't be, not trying to be intelligent, I'll just say this, there won't be any cuss words in there, but you'll know that I mean business. They're, they're my boys. They're Aaron's boys. I'll need you to tell me what to do with parenting my children. If I need your help, if I want your help, I'll ask for it. I go to my parents and talk to them. Did when I first, when I, the first time around. And I'm not going to come into your house and tell you how to raise your kids. You want my help, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to step into your chaos. It's not my business. God is not in your chaos. You created it. God can fix it, but he's not going to fix it until you're willing to come out of your chaos. Dysfunction is not God's plan. Understand that, folks. Dysfunction is not God's plan. Understand this as well. God never told you to make it work. You understand that? God never told you to make it work. He has given you a guidebook. He's given you instructions. He's given you principles by which to live life. And he said, if, he, if you will follow my way, I will make it work. God never told you to make it work. If God isn't in the chaos, why should you be there? And the last lie is this. Arrogance says it's all about me. Wisdom knows it's not all about you. People leave churches all the time. Why? Because it's not all about them. I don't like the color of the carpet. You know what? Carpet makers make about 70, 70 80, I don't know how many different colors of carpets because not everybody likes the same color carpet you like. Well, I don't like the style of music. Well, there's about seven or eight different musical styles in churches because not everybody likes the style you like. Oh, I don't like, you know, pastor's not wearing, uh, pastor wear, pastors, the pastor wears Nike sneakers on the platform. Well, they're actually Nike Air Pegasus and I wear them because my right leg is all titanium. And if I don't wear these shoes, I don't walk. So, so if you want me to put a suit on, I'll still wear these shoes, okay? Because that's just the fact of the matter. At the end of the day, I have this stool up here because by the, second, by the time of the second service uh, is getting close to ending, I almost, I need to sit down. I've actually sat down a couple times. I hate it because my leg goes numb. There's always a reason for somebody to do something. You've got to understand it's not about you. It's not about you. Church is not all about you. And if you think it is, if you think everything has to be done your way, if you think every, hey gentlemen, hey ladies, go ahead and try to make your marriage all about you. A gentleman especially. Go ahead and decorate your home for your wife. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. I can't even, I, yeah, cheat, take a lock, throw it away. Not going to say anything because it's on video. <laughs> That's wisdom, right? I've learned a little less you, a lot more him will spread out and reach others. And that's how he planned it. 
That's how it works. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Arrogance blinds you to the truth. In your life, arrogance blinds you to the truth. Arrogance blinds you to sin. When it's all about you, you don't see the sin. Aaron and I were talking this week. Aaron's getting ready to take a, a class on... Um, it's basically a, a harmony of the Gospels type of class. And she got a, a, an Ironside book from my dad on Matthew, and she actually bought another one on, she found one for $7.99, I think, on Luke. And we were talking, and she came across, she was reading through Matthew, she's going to be reading through the Gospels, getting ready for the class, and she, uh, she was talking about the, the, uh, the, the passage where it says, don't worry, take the log out of your eye and stop worrying about the speck in somebody else's eye and man isn't that so true arrogance blinds you to your faults because you're the one that's right you're the one that knows everything you're the one that should be in charge you're the one that should be able to tell everybody else what to do but you don't see your great sin in your life Listen, arrogance blinds you to the truth arrogance blinds you to your sin and arrogance blinds you to your self-centeredness Man, these are, these are serious things you deal with in life, in home, and in church. Ask those people, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I, I won't name anybody intentionally, but ask those people who had one child for a long time. I remember talking with, with uh, friends and counseling young families who had one child for a long time, and then they had another one. And that older child dealt with some, some struggles. And other issues where you've been the only one in life, people who get married at a later age in life, you've been set in your ways. It's very difficult now to allow somebody else to come into your life. Yeah, it's very difficult for a lot to allow someone to come into your life and to share life with. Really, isn't it? How about at work when they say space is limited, you're going to have to share your office and now someone else is going to bring in art and plants or somebody else is going to have to drive your bus today. One thing that really bugs me, my wife has her own car, we, we have two cars and I know we, they're, they're both of our cars. I get that. We're a family. But she drives the Lexus, and I drive. It's an old Lexus, a 2010. Don't get excited, okay? She, she drives the old Lexus. <laughs> she drives the Lexus, and I drive the, the old Chevy Silverado. Once in a while, Aaron will drive my truck, or drive the truck. You know how I know? I can't hardly get behind the wheel. <laughs> My gosh. Have you seen her? Have you seen me? We don't have the same we don't have the same seat structure, okay? And she likes I, she likes the wheel. It's we got a tilt wheel and she likes it all the way down. Like Who drives like that? It's, yeah, thank you, Pete. Thank you, thank you, Pete. I'm like, and my my mind. I'll tell you. I'll be honest. My mind goes, why didn't you put my seat back the way it was supposed to be? You know what? That's so petty, isn't it? The seat. I um. Thank you, thank you, Andy. Appreciate your. <laughs> my the the truck has an electric driver's seat. I don't even have to get behind. I can just hit the button and it'll go back. It's so easily solved. Yet I get myself into a little bit of a twist over it. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because it's not about me. My wife would rather drive her car, but there are times when, in fact, when we bought the truck, she said, Aaron's the deal maker in our family. I let, her, I let her go. She's the deal maker. And uh, she's like, oh, I, think, I think you can have, at that time we had a 2004 Cadillac. 
Remember the old red thing that, yeah. Um, she said, you can have the Cadillac and I'll take the truck. And she drove the truck for about two days. And then she came, she said, I really think you deserve the truck. In other words, you don't like driving the truck. That's what it comes down to. But why is that a big deal? Because I'm making it about me. It's not a big deal. It really isn't. It's not about you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us totally differently, something totally different than what we put to practice in our own lives and what we struggle with as human beings. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your path straight. You don't have to make it work. He's going to make it work for you. Trust him. John 10, 14 and 15, 14 and, 15 and then verse 27. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep, now listen to this, listen to this, this is verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. What's that last part say? And they follow me. It's not about you. It's never been about you. The only time it was about you was when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's when it was about you. Now, the life, as Paul said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life you live now is not about you. Arrogance will tell you it is. Just like the skunk who said, it's all about me. I own this road. Fear me. Flee before me. Because I can make your life miserable. Right? That's what the skunk says. I'm not moving. I'm not giving in. I have something you don't. And then it gets itself into a situation where it doesn't matter. And it becomes roadkill. Hey, listen, don't be a skunk spiritually. Don't get yourself into a situation where it's all about you and where you think you're in charge and where you think you're going to tell everybody what to do and where you're going to tell God, I don't need you right now because I've got this covered. Because when that time comes, my friend, something is coming down the road that you can't handle. I've seen it time and time and time again. Husband and wife, husbands and wives, don't make your marriage about you. Mothers and fathers, don't make raising your children about you. Just don't do it. Make it about him. Make it about honoring him in everything. Don't get so arrogant and caught up in yourself that you think that you are what is required to make it work. You've never been asked to make it work. Instead of following your ego, follow Jesus and avoid being roadkill. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you so much for the blessings that you give to us in life. Father, sometimes we can all just try to make everything about us and, and we can try to take control. And God, it's so human of us. But you've told us that that's not the way to accomplish things for your kingdom. And since it's your kingdom, God, you make the rules. God, would you humble us before you? Would you just allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, each and every one of us? God, because every one of us battles with this. Would you help us to listen to the prompting of your Holy Spirit and step outside of our abilities and trust you, God. 
and would you lead us? Would you do that here at New Life? God, this is a, this is a crazy time right now. You have a purpose, you have a plan, you're in control, I understand that. Father, I pray that you'll give each and every one of us wisdom to know right now, everyone, every new lifer, everyone that, that is, is part of this ministry, God, would you just give us each wisdom to know where we fit in right now and what you want us to do right now to make it about you and your kingdom and not about us. God, would you bless us as we go from this place? Lord, I pray that we'll make you our priority in life. Thank you for this time. May we go forward from here as worshipers and servants of yours. In your name we pray.